0: Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We're so glad you are with us this morning. Um, We are going to get started some worship, and we'd love if you would stand with us if you're able.
1: Father, thank you for being the God who never sleeps. Thank you for always being here, even when we're not always there for you. Thank you that you love and you want the very best for us. Thank you for your promise that you will never change. Today we are feeling very overwhelmed and concerned with the war that's going on in Ukraine right now. Father, the destruction and death that's happening, Lord, is just too... Overwhelming to even think about, Lord. Lord, be with our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. Lord, for the priests, pastors, rabbis, and all the other people, Lord, to share your word and to be a light, that they would be a a lighthouse, Lord, for your word and for your love. We pray for your perfect peace to happen. Lord, be with them protect them as much as you can, Lord, and ask that you just, that your name would reign supreme and sovereign over this whole thing. The Bible says that you are not a God of confusion, but of peace. Please help us to rest in your love and the peace that surpasses all understanding. Help us to feel your love and your comfort. Help us to be still and know that you are God and that you will take care of us just like any loving parent would take care of their children. Your word says to cast all of our anxieties on you because you care for us. Let us turn all of our burdens and concerns over to you, Lord. Please guide our every step and help us to be attentive to your loving direction. Lord, be with Pastor Steve as he shares your word today. Let us always be mindful, Lord, of the things and people that are happening in this world. And that we pray for our world, Lord, and we pray for our leaders. But we thank you for you, Lord, to be there for us. Amen.
2: Thank you, Andy. Well, good morning, La Jolla Community Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Good? I hope so. I'm here, so you should be excited. One of the things that I absolutely love about our church, it doesn't matter what kind of emotional turmoil that the week has had, and I don't know about you guys, but it has been an emotional week for me. But when I show up here, the love and the joy that this church just embodies and experiences is absolutely wonderful. I've gotten to check in with some new friends, some old friends that I haven't gotten to see in a while. Kellen, where you at? It's just been awesome to come to church and feel loved and cared for despite the chaos that is the world. So if you find this place your home, we are so thankful that you are a part of the wonder and the joy that we here at La Jolla Community Church are trying to share. We thank you so much. Well, with that, my name is Ryan Sylvia. I am the Director of Youth Ministries here at La Jolla Community Church. And I'd love to bring everybody's attention to our fun little bulletin you should have gotten on your way in. If you notice right in the top half, that part rips off. This week is especially important because we've got a really fun event coming up on Wednesday. Is Ash Wednesday. I don't know about you, but I kind of forgot this was happening. It snuck up on a lot of us. But Ash Wednesday is going to be a really powerful service. You're not going to want to miss it. 6.30 here in the sanctuary. Please join us. Take this top card home. Invite somebody. Let them know, hey, I know you're not doing anything. I'll take you out to dinner afterwards. Come hang out. Come to church with us. Please, please take this top half home. I don't want to see any left around. Invite somebody to church. We would love, love, love to have them join us. The bottom half of this card is for you while I'm in here. I'm not going to be upset if you're writing while I talk, I promise. But this first card says, get connected with us. This is how we get you connected and plugged into some of the wonderful and amazing ministries that we've got going on here at La Jolla Community Church. Some of you have made, seen some of the slides of some of the events that we've got going on. We've got a board game night, lots of fun things coming up. So if you would like to be involved in any of our ministries, please take a moment, fill out this card. Let us know how we can get you plugged in, connected, and involved in some of our awesome ministries here at church. And then if you flip over right on the other side, it says, Let us pray for you. I absolutely love every single week we have a dedicated team of prayer warriors that prays individually over every single prayer request that gets turned in. It could be as simple as, Hey, I'm struggling. I need a little help. You know, need some financial support. Or it's, This week has been emotionally exhausting and I can't even open my news app anymore. I'm so tired. Whatever you've got prayer for, whatever you need, please, please, please take a moment. We want to pray for you. We want to support you. We want to love on you. So please take a moment to fill out that prayer card, and you can take both sides of this and drop it off in the baskets or in the offering box that is mounted on the wall on your way out. Well, again, we thank you all so much for joining us on this wonderful Sunday morning, and with that, I'm going to invite Pastor Steve up to lead us in a message.
3: Thank you, Ryan. Uh, so big question for you. How does God's story shape yours? That's the series we're in, uh, we're asking that question uh, we're looking, uh, we're working our way through the Old Testament. Uh, some of you, I imagine, uh, I won't ask for a show of hands, uh, just the idea of the Old Testament sounds a little on the borderline of irrelevant. Uh, why do we need the Old Testament? We're New Testament people, you know, Jesus, you've heard of him, he's come, it's all done. Um, <clears throat> one of my favorite uh, Old Testament scholars is a guy named John gay uh, For many years he taught at Fuller, but he's originally from Oxford University and he's back in Oxford now. He asks the clever question, um, do we really need the New Testament? Because everything we need in faith is in the Old Testament. Uh, what Bible did Jesus use? The Old Testament. Uh, when He talked about the Word of God, He was quoting the Old Testament. What was the Bible of the early church? The Old Testament, the Tanakh, the Torah, the prophets, the writings, the Torah, uh, ta- uh, the, the prophets, ne, Nevi'im, and the writings, Ketavim. So, K, so Tanak. That's the acronym for the Old Testament, the Old Testament, the First Testament. And so, we're, we're working our way through asking how does God's story of shape ours? Uh, specifically, how does, I, you know, we ask as a question, how does it shape yours? How does it shape mine? How does it shape ours? And so, we're talking today then about priests and prophets, which is, if, the, if talking in the Old Testament is borderline irrelevant, we've just gone over the line now talking about priests and prophets, it's like, really? Uh, does that really matter anymore? If somebody came up to you on the street and said, I am a prophet of God, I have a message, you would keep walking. If you look for some small change or something, like, here's, here's a buck, get a cup of coffee, you would just be like, really? A prophet? Or or if, if, if one of your children uh, looked up from their bowl of cereal before school and said, you know what, I just feel like I have this prophetic ministry with my fellow you know, pre through K students. You know, it's been a great year in fourth grade. I'm feeling like my prof- my prophetic tendencies are really coming together. You know, you see, oh dear Lord, what's happened to our child? Uh, and that would be the wrong response, actually, because really, um, faithful priests and true prophets were God's gift to Israel and us. <laughs> Let that sink in. Uh, we need more prophets and priests and uh, you know, pastoral people in La Jolla. I can tell you from living here for. Uh, 26 years, we need way more prophets and priests in La Jolla. Uh, I don't care what they drive, what their zip code is, you know. Um, we need a 92037. We need a, you know, you know 92121. We need this whole area, this whole cluster around UC San Diego. Uh, we need it filled with prophets and priests. Uh, why? Because they are God's gift to us. And the worst thing we can do is to treat their stories as relics of the past. Why? Because they still speak. All these prophets uh, and the message of these pastors, these priests, speaks to us. Uh, they're speaking right now in Ukraine. Now, I didn't see that anywhere on the news. Did you? Did you hear about the upswelling, the groundswell, the 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 incredible presence of prophets and priests in Ukraine? No. Uh, you'll never hear it in, in the media. But without them, Ukraine would have collapsed. It's not just a political issue, uh, we're talking about uh, certainly this could be the precursor to uh, uh, not just a country being overrun but a whole european calamity and catastrophe uh, it could be that kind of trigger that creates something that nobody expected or wanted but all of a sudden it's happening uh, pastor vassal Austria is one of those people through whom god is speaking as a as a pastor and a prophet i don't think he would if standing here would, would describe himself that way he'd probably say i'm a pastor." He, he wouldn't say, I'm a prophet. He would probably feel like that would freak people out. Uh, but he's a pastor of Irpin uh, Bible Church. Irpin is a community adjacent part of larger Kiev. And uh, <clears throat> he's been a pastor there for maybe six years. He's also a professor at the local theological seminary. So here's what he says at, at the end of a long letter. I received this week through another friend, a mutual friend of Pastor Ostri uh, and mine, um, I got, this, I got this letter. At the end of the letter, this is his final sign-off. It's a very inspiring letter. And he says this, We've decided to stay, both as a family and as a church. As you know, there's a mass exodus right now. Uh, you can't get out. The roads are so clogged. So people are walking uh, hours to the border just to get out. Because it's scary. Can you imagine? A country with 190,000 people surrounding you. Tanks, planes, they control the Black Sea. Everything is theirs, and you're thinking, ah, oh, bummer. Um, I don't know if you know much about history, World War II history, you know, the Soviet army pushed back the Nazis. Do you know what the core, you know who the, the best fighters in the Soviet army were? The Ukrainians. If you're going to pick a fight, that's the wrong people you want to pick a fight with. So Ukraine is tiny relative to, to Russia in every way you can imagine and measure, but they're fighters. Uh, they're fighters. And so the spirit pervades the culture. So he says, Pastor Ostry says, we've decided to stay both as a family and as a church. When this is over, the citizens of Kiev will remember how Christians have responded in their time of need. Paul told young Timothy, preach the gospel in season and out of season, when it's convenient, when it's inconvenient, when it's safe and wonderful, when it's really dangerous and scary. And that's what Pastor Ostry is doing. And while the church may not Fight like the nation, he says. We still believe we have a role to play in this struggle. For we fight not against powers and principalities, but of spiritual forces in high places, right? We will shelter the weak, serve the suffering, and mend the broken. Uh, in, in the first part of this letter, he's talking about what, all the things they're doing. You know, They preach the gospel faithfully in this Bible church. They're discipling people to, to walk with Jesus. They've also said, hey, let's teach everybody in our congregation how to do first aid, how to treat horrible weapon-inflicted injuries. Some of the families in the church came to him and said, you know, before we started doing this, we were thinking of how we were going to leave and when we were going to leave. Now, I guess with this training, we're going to stay. They figured out how to convert their basement into a, a, what they call a heating center, a place where people can come in off the street. You know, It's cold there, it's winter. Uh, and, and how we could help people in every possible way. They're, they're mobilized. Having mobilized to preach the gospel, to, to proclaim and teach and demonstrate the gospel, they're focusing on the demonstration of the gospel right now and thinking, what can we do? What's God put in our hands? And so he says, we still believe we have a role to play in the struggle, sheltering the weak, serving the suffering, mending the broken. And as we do, we offer the unshakable hope of Christ and his gospel. While we may feel helpless in the face of such a crisis, we can pray like Esther. Now, that was a gutsy move. If you remember that story of Esther, uh, every every Jew was wondering, will we live to see the end of the day? Haman was on the move, and he'd figured out a way to co-opt all the levers of power to destroy, to crush uh, the Jews. He says, Ukraine is not God's covenant people, but like Israel. Our hope is that the Lord will remove the danger as he did for his ancient people. And as we stay, we pray the church in Ukraine will faithfully trust the Lord and serve our neighbors. And this starts with him trying to explain to a six- and eight-year-old what's going on. Imagine you having a six-year-old, an eight-year-old in tow. Old enough to know that something's going on, old enough to feel the fear to see the, the chaos ensuing and, and, and happening around them. And now you have to explain to them, here's why we have to have a little bag in case we have to go away. Where are we going? We don't know. When are we going, Daddy? I don't know. But until the Lord tells us to go, this is our home, this is our church, and this is who we are. Do you feel like that's a pastoral prophetic kind of a message? If you think in your head that a prophet is somebody who is foretelling the future, you've got a dinky little part. You've got the top of the the iceberg in view. The heavier part of the iceberg of the ministry of a prophet is to simply tell the truth, to proclaim God's word in ways that speak to the moment. From the context of, of God's whole history, we now speak in the moment. That's why this history matters. If you don't know your history, you can't say, just like Esther because remember what Esther said to her Uncle Mordecai when he, he explained the danger they were in? And she had a really key role to play. And she said, yes, but, but I might die. And remember what dear, loving Uncle Mordecai said? This, she was precious to him like, a, like she was his own daughter. She said, he said, uh, you might die. But God has raised you up for such a time as this. Live or die, we belong to him. Does that give you goosebumps? Does that give you a sense of deep emotion welling up? It does for me. I want to pray right now for Pastor um, Vasily and um, the church. Lord Jesus, uh, as Andy prayed for the people in Ukraine, we pray specifically uh, for uh, Pastor Ostry and his family and uh, this thousand-member church in this place that we don't even know about. Uh, We have no idea what, what Urban Bible Church is like. We don't really know what Kiev is like. Uh, we might have an idea. Perhaps we've been there, you know, traveling through, or we've seen the news reports. But, Lord, you know that place intimately. You've raised up your people in that place. And, Lord, I pray that you'd protect them, you'd lead them, you'd guide them. Uh, they, they are your people in that place, showing your love and your care, speaking your word. Uh, uh, forcefully, boldly, humbly, appropriately. So, Lord, we pray for them, and we pray for ourselves, that in the, in the catastrophes that we face individually, as families, as a community, as a country, and all those things that challenge us in our faith and push us beyond limits we thought we even had, uh, you would be faithful to them even as you are to us. We pray this in your high and holy name. Amen. So priests serve God by leading and serving the people and being faithful to God. That that's the simplest description I can I can come up with for a priest. It's not just a person officiating at services. And if you read the you know the the literature about the priests, Leviticus, Levi, it's the whole book of Leviticus as we talked about is about what the priests were supposed to do and how they were supposed to do it. But the question we want to come back to over and over again is why? Because we were made for God, we we're made for a relationship with him. So the priest say, saying, here's how we have a relationship with the living God. Here's his standards. Uh, here's what he calls us to do and be. And The prophets served God by speaking his word faithfully to people. The penalty for an unfaithful prophet was death because especially when you're talking about things that have an immediate impact and meaning but that have future implications. If you speak to those future implications and they don't pan out, you've been revealed as a false prophet. Uh, when I, we lived in Orange County for a very long time um, serving a church there, Newport Beach, right? Across from Newport Harbor High. And one of our uh, a neighbor, not, not adjacent, but, you know, in the, in the community, so, you know, three or four blocks away, was a pastor of one of the largest churches in Orange County at the time, one of the biggest movements in the, in the, in the country. And I, I knew him, I knew him and loved him dearly. He was, and we've had great conversations. Uh, his name was Chuck Smith, and he started a church called Calvary Chapel. He was a godly, great man, and he made one glaring error. He kept predicting when Jesus was going to return. And the glaring error was that he could say it and get away with it. But I knew people who would say, I didn't go to college because Pastor Chuck said, why would you waste your time going to college? Jesus is going to return. Why would you do that? Jesus is going to return. Hey, you want to go to college? Okay, but Jesus is going to return. You're going to go to cemetery? Oh, I mean seminary? Because he thought anybody who went to seminary was co-opting their faith to the nth degree. You go to seminary to compromise everything you believe. When I was an adjunct professor at Fuller Seminary, it was great to see Calvary Chapel students coming in. And I would always ask them, hey, it's kind of interesting that you're here. And they go, yeah, I know. It's about time. Uh, One of the greatest uh, Calvary Chapel churches in San Diego County, North Coast Calvary Chapel. Uh, Fantastic church. Mark Foreman, the pastor there, is a graduate of Fuller Seminary. So a false prophet is not necessarily a mean, vindictive person trying to hurt you. It's a person who is somehow speaking beyond what really God has given them the authority to say. So I'm not dissing Chuck, plus he's not here so he can't do anything, hurt me. You know. So No, and he was a great fan of our church. He was a huge supporter of our church. He was very encouraging uh, about our church. Loved what we were doing and how we are doing it. I'm just saying, any of us can be false prophets if we get ahead of ourselves and start telling everybody what... Uh, is up. So the prophets didn't say, you know, in my opinion, well, I think the prophets, over 4,000 times you see this in the Old Testament, said, Thus saith the Lord. This is what the Lord says. And sometimes it's just a phrase. It just, um, uh, Yahweh, or they, they, it would be written Yahweh in the Old Testament, but it would be pronounced Adonai. Adonai says, that's it. Adonai says says Adonai. But the same message, right? The prophet was speaking under the authority of God. Most of what they taught was simply good teaching. In our culture, we have false prophets. Because anybody who has access to a pulpit, uh, to a microphone, to any way to communicate to people who does not represent the word accurately is by definition a false prophet. you like if somebody gave you intentionally wrong directions. That would be a false guide, right? So it's not like we're supposed to walk around calling out people as false prophets. We just need to know the word of God so well. If somebody hands you a counterfeit bill, you can't keep up with all the ways bills can be counterfeit. You just have to know what a real bill looks like. And so the priests faithfully bringing people to God, the prophets faithfully bringing God's word to the people. So they're God's messengers saying, thus says the Lord, not well I think or in my opinion. So the prophets confronted and comforted the people. I mean, really, as I thought about this week, how would I summarize how they would comfort and, comfort and confront the people? The prophets would literally say, you can see this over and over again, they would say, it's okay. It's going to be okay. Usually, though, after they said, it's not okay. Uh, that's not okay. Uh, sacrificing your children to Molech, not okay. Worshiping the Baals, the false gods, putting up an Asherah pole not okay. Uh, Treating the people with injustice and immorality, indifference, impunity, um, not okay. So if you want to remember what the prophets did, it was to say, anything that doesn't square with God's word, not okay. And in the face of any calamity or catastrophe, because God is with us, it'll be okay. Let that sink in. Though we die, yet shall we live. I imagine that's probably what uh, Vasil Ostri is saying today at the end of a long Sunday. You know, it's it's dinner time there now. He'd be saying, Well, I lived another day, thank God. But if I die, I'm with him. So their primary focus, these prophets' primary focus, and really the priests as well, was calling people back from idolatry, immorality, and injustice. Those are the big three idolatry, immorality, and injustice. I'll say it one more time, so if you want to write it down or memorize it. uh, What were the prophets and and the priests about confronting idolatry, immorality, and injustice? How we relate to God, how we relate to ourselves, how do we relate to our fellow people. Do you notice the, the incredible staying power of idolatry, immorality, and injustice? What is this basic thing we're seeing rolling out from uh, the desk of Vladimir Putin to Ukraine. It's idolatry. He claims to be part of the Russian Orthodox Church, and he's attacking a Christian nation, a nation that declares itself as a Christ-centered nation. There's no such thing as a Christian nation, but, but in just general historic terms. I saw this movie. Uh, it wasn't the greatest movie, but we saw this movie called The King. Have you seen this one? It, it came out uh, in the last year or two um, and uh, produced by Brad Pitt. It's a, it's a major epic movie. It's pretty incredible. Uh, really well done visually and all that. got a bunch of nominations, but it kind of played loose with the facts of Henry Fourth, Henry the V, and Mary Lives of Windsor in terms of Shakespeare's works. So it's the Battle of Agincourt and all that kind of stuff. But at one point, they, have, um, they're, 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 they make the church look horrible. Uh, which didn't need much help then doing that, but it made the church look horrible. And one of the things that, that his, his, uh, the new king, the young Henry V, is being told by his wise, so-called wise counselors, is that we really need to, especially the archbishop is saying, we really need to go hard after France on our way to Jerusalem. And the young king, who is not buying it in terms of faith or their point of view, says, Give me, let me get this straight. Uh, you're Christians, this is a Christian nation, we're going to trash some other Christian nations on the way to taking over a nation for Christ. How does that make sense? It, It doesn't make sense. But idolatry, immorality, and injustice never seem to go out of style in the church, beyond the church. And this is why prophets and priests still matter. Last week we talked about Josiah, Remember way back last week? You know, 450 years after what we're going to talk about this morning with the prophet Samuel, Josiah is like the last good king, the last best hope for Israel. And he's the guy that turns it around. He tears down all the idolatry centers. He calls the people back to a moral alignment with God. He says we've got to treat people uh, as, as made in the image of God, basically. So no more idolatry, no more immorality, no more injustice. It was a powerful, powerful a moment for Israel, and he was called the greatest king of Israel. Now, we think of David as that, but that was Josiah. Why? Because he said, no more. Now, you can't extinguish it because it, it'll always come back in some form, but he's, he, he stood up for it. Who's doing that anymore? Now, ironically, the prophets were also essential in preparing Israel for exile because God said, because of what you've done, Josiah, I'm not going to destroy the nation But after you die, let's see what happens. And, of course, after he died, the people who followed him were horrible, and so the people were swept into exile. But the prophets, like Zechariah and Jeremiah during Josiah's time, were saying, it's not okay. You'll be going into exile. But they said, but it's going to be okay, because God will be with you there, and he'll bring you back. And we're going to talk about that next week. But the prophets, of course, were ignored, threatened, rejected, killed, and, and occasionally listened to. That was kind of like the, the hope, but usually uh, very rarely did that happen. Uh, John the Baptist was the last Old Testament prophet and the first New Testament prophet. Maybe you don't think of John the Baptist that way. Son of a priest, so really he was in the priestly line, a Levite. But he was the last of the Old Testament prophets and the first of the New Testament prophets. And he was so faithful to the Lord. And what, did, what happened to him? He was killed for standing up and speaking out. So the priests and the prophets remind us that we live in a fallen world affecting everyone and that you can even do the rightest thing you can think of and you might suffer and probably will suffer for it. You've heard the phrase, no good deed goes unpunished. So the idea isn't to say, I'm going to make uh, myself uh, suffer so I look really impressive. No. In the early church, uh, in the Roman when the, when in the Roman Empire, uh, Redacting to the movement of Christ as it's growing. It's freaking them out. only one God Caesar, and we don't know who Jesus is. So they started persecuting the people, and some people saw that as people were martyred, they got all this attention and all these accolades, big ceremonies to celebrate their life, and, and so they said, hey, I think I'll do that. And so the church had to distinguish between martyrs. This is okay to be a martyr this way. It's not okay to be a martyr this way. Don't go running in front of a Roman soldier saying, I'm a Christian, you knucklehead! They said, don't do that. There's no glory in just making, you know, committing suicide by centurion. The idea is we're living for Christ, and that's that's its own reward. But the fact is, speaking prophetically or functioning pastorally costs you something. But what it costs you is small compared to what it gains you. And what, not just we're doing it for the gain, but for the, for the, not for the glory of the Lord and my glory as well, but rather this is where I feel most alive when I'm doing God's will as a prophet, as a priest. And so the prophets and the priests call us to God so that God can make us partners with Him in redeeming the world. That's their role to this day. Prophetic voices, pastoral voices saying, hey, how are you doing walking with the Lord? What has He put in your hand that you could use to glorify Him and bless people in His name? Samuel was a priest and prophet whom God raised up to redeem Israel. Uh, I'm going to read you a little bit of Samuel's life. Uh, we have a slide. If you have a Bible or a Bible on your phone, you can follow along in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1-21. to 21. So Samuel, uh, by the way, you notice that, that uh, in every case in Israel's history, whenever there's a king, there's a, there's a, a prophet as well. There's always a prophet paired with a king. Not like the people would arrange this. God would arrange this. There was always a prophet holding the king accountable and the people accountable. Because remember, God didn't necessarily think the people needed a king. He said, I'm your king. But the people said, no, 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 we've got to have a king. Everybody has a king. Don't you know anything? God said, fine, you have a king. So from starting with Saul, who was the prophet? Samuel. Uh, who, when David became king, who was the prophet? Samuel. Uh, when, when Samuel died, Nathan was raised up by God to be the prophet to David. Remember, David's, in David's cover-up with Bathsheba, it was Nathan who said, you are that man, and called him to repentance, and that's how we get Psalm 51. Nathan was a prophet to Solomon. Solomon, you wanted to be wise, what you're doing, marrying all these women and worshiping their gods, not wise, not okay. Then when the, when the kingdom divided into two, a uh, northern kingdom, Israel, the whole country is called Israel, but when it was divided, the northern tribes, ten of them, called themselves Israel. The southern tribes and the southern region called Judah, Israel and Judah. Israel goes to exile first, like in the, in the 8th century, 750-something. Uh, then in uh, like 587, the southern people were taken out to exile as well. So even then, all those kings, uh, all the way down, uh, there's prophets matched for those kings. Several prophets, probably, in many cases. So Samuel was the last judge of Israel. Remember, after Moses uh, hands a baton to Joshua, Joshua leads the people into, into the land. They're setting up shop. They're, they're figuring out what to do, and they don't have a king. But God raises up these things called these people called judges. Uh, Samuel, I mean not Samuel, um, you know, Samson, uh, Deborah, et cetera, et cetera, and the last of these, of course, is Samuel. And then he also becomes the high priest, succeeding a priest named Eli. So here's Samuel, who's both a a priest and a prophet and a judge. He's a very powerful person, uh, as you'll see. And so he had authority and credibility. Why? Because it was rooted in humility and vulnerability. This is the amazing thing about Samuel. And it really is supposed to be the, the, the profile for every prophet and priest. Because of one's humility and vulnerability, you have credibility and authority. When you assume that your authority and credibility is because you're so awesome and you're so powerful, you lose vulnerability. I'm not going to listen to you. And you lose humility. I'm not going to change my mind or submit to you. So the boy Samuel um, comes to live uh, with this priest, Eli, in a place called Shiloh. is where the tabernacle that had been traveling around with the the Israelis when they finally landed in the land, they said, okay, let's go to Shiloh, a town in the hills. Let's put the tabernacle there, and we'll have the priest live there. So that's what was going on. Samuel's mom, Hannah, can't conceive. She is a second wife uh, and who can't conceive. The other wife is having all these kids and going, hey, nice job having kids. And so she's heartbroken. She's a godly woman. Uh, she goes to the temple for a feast, and, sh- and she's praying, praying, praying. And she's praying so intently and of course, it's a feast because they were celebrating. Um, I think Passover, and uh, Eli is so out of it as a priest. He sees her and he thinks she's drunk because she's just woman like talking. He goes, "Lady, you shouldn't get drunk at these things." She said, "I'm, I'm, I'm not drunk. I'm praying my heart out that God would give me a child. And if God gives me a child, I'm going to dedicate him to the service of the Lord." Talk about a prophetic rebuke to Eli. She goes home, she conceives, she has more children, but the first child, Eli, she's going to commit to the Lord. After. She said, I'll keep him only until he's weaned, which a normal mom would say, that's about 18. Um, uh, but of course, you know, eventually she says, uh, okay, I'm going to take him. They bring him to Eli. So we pick it up in chapter 3, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, this is a sad commentary, the word of the Lord was rare. There were few visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. Uh, This is a reference to the candelabra that was lit every evening in in the holy part of the the temple compound. Uh, and, And so the fact that it was lit tells us it was night. Uh, it doesn't say anything else about it, but you know, it's kind of one of those interesting things. You go, hmm, the light of the Lord had not yet gone out. I guess that's reminiscent of the fact that God always leaves himself without a wit- with a witness. That Jesus is the light of the world, right? The light never goes out. The light right now is dim in Ukraine for people who are suffering. But people like Pastor Vasily are saying, no, 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 no. The light of the world is with us. He's here. And so Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord, going to sleep, and this is where the ark of God was. It was a holy, holy place. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. That's that famous line, Hineni, here I am. Isaiah said it in the temple, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. He's like, Oh, okay. So he went to lie down. Now he's probably a teenager at this point. Again, the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Is this not a pathetic, heartbreaking commentary on what the state of Israel was? He's living in the most holy place, the place at the center of the people's worship, and Eli has never taken the time to teach him the word of the Lord or how to listen to the Lord. Meanwhile, Eli's grown sons, who are also priests, are cavorting with women, uh, getting drunk, misusing the, and misappropriating the, the resources of the temple. And so God has said, they're done, and you're done. Heartbreaking, heartbreaking moment. So Eli told Samuel, well, I said, the third time the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli, here I am, you called me. That's funny, in the language here, you know, he starts with saying, hineni, by, the, by as it goes on, it's like he just goes, he, knee. It's like, first he says, here I am. Now he's going, here, <laughs> uh, present, you know, what? Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boys, so he told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel, Shemul, Shemul. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. I hope you can memorize that, because that is the appropriate response to God. You got a little hunch that I'm supposed to do something. I need to be looking at something in me or around me. I don't know if that's last night's pizza, or is this really God speaking to me? So just start with this. Lord, speak, your servant is listening. let see where that takes you. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle something big is up. At that time I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him, I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. Therefore I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Now this sounds like, whoa, I thought God forgave people, right? But it will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. How will it be atoned for? Repentance. Just offering an empty sacrifice. Yeah, 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 okay. God likes to forgive. I like to sin. It's an awesome relationship. Not so. That's not okay. Uh, But to repent uh, is the appropriate sacrifice we bring in Jesus' name, right? So he says, uh, says Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called him and uh, said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. Now this is Samuel's humility and vulnerability being revealed. He could have said, ah, not much. You know, hey, have a nice day. Hope you get a good night's sleep. Everything is looking good. Instead, and now, of course, Eli already knows what God has told him. So, Samuel, oh, well, this is what he told me. Can you imagine your young boy in the presence of the Lord in this temple, in front of the high priest? Your mother has dedicated, you know, is praying that you would you know, be this godly man in this godly place, if she only knew. And you're in this conflicted moment of deep vulnerability and humility in, a, in the presence of somebody with no credibility but all authority. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. So you hear this resignation in in Eli's voice. Like, yeah, I pretty much failed. I didn't do what I could have done. I should have done. I'm an old man. It's almost over for me. And I'm leaving you with a mess. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba, from the highest north by um, Mount Herm- Hermon, that's Dan, all the way down to Beersheba. That's the last part in the Negev before you get the open desert to Egypt. Recognize that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at shallow, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. So if, if idolatry and immorality and injustice uh, are this unholy triumvirate, this unholy trinity that we see over and over and over and over again. What was the antidote? Well, for Samuel, uh, the antidote to idolatry was loving God by offering himself as a living sacrifice. Uh, The antidote for immorality was listening to God and then obeying his word. Uh, The antidote to injustice was living for God, ordering his life in God's kingdom values. So he spoke truth to power to Saul. When he brought him on board as king, as God led him, and when God said, he has corrupted his position as king, I am, I am removing him, Samuel had to bring that message too. When, as, as Scott Schimmel so wonderfully did a couple of weeks ago, talking about how Samuel was there trying to figure out who was supposed to replace Saul, and he's in front of all of the brothers, David's brothers. That was fantastic listened to that message, fantastic message from Scott. Here's Samuel in that mode as well. So his antidote: love God, and you'll overcome idolatry. Listen to God, you'll overcome immorality. Serve God, you'll overcome injustice. Samuel embodied all that, and he sets a standard for us. For us, as priests and prophets, pastors and prophets. If, if, the, if the word priest makes put your teeth on edge, uh, pastor. He is the embodiment. He's the standard, the high standard for all prophets. And pastors, the issue isn't. Well, I could never be Samuel. Who cares? Be you in Christ. You know what Mike Mike Trout and I have in common? You know who Mike Trout is? I think he's the highest paid baseball player out there, two hundred fifty million dollar contract. Mike Trout and I are like this in our identity. Why? He played catch. He plays catcher. I played catcher. He plays baseball. I played baseball. Now, it drops off radically after that between me and Mike. Uh, one time, I was talking to one of my brothers. I have two younger brothers. Um, and uh, I was talking to one of my brothers, and he said something about this. He said something about David Rigetti. And I'm like, oh, David Rigetti, that little kid who used to play baseball with us. He, goes, he starts laughing. He goes, Steve, obviously you don't follow baseball. I said, what do you mean? I, you know, I know little Dave Rigetti. What does that have to do with baseball? He goes, well, little Dave Rigetti is now six four, and he's Rookie of the year and the star pitcher of the Yankees. I'm like, little David Rigetti? He goes, yeah, the kid we play baseball with. Yes. But you see what I'm saying? You can play baseball. A T-ball guy and Mike Trout are giving high fives to each other. Yeah, man, we play baseball. How's it going for you? How's the season? The issue isn't I'm no Mike Trout. We all know that. Is that I love baseball. Michael loves baseball. There's a continuum there. Prophet, priest, prophet, pastor. There's a continuum there. You and Samuel are on a continuum. I know you're not believing me yet. You're thinking, no, no, that's somebody else's assignment. I'm sorry to tell you, it's yours. It's your assignment. You are a prophet of God. You are are a pastor of God. No way. Yes way. And I'll tell you why. We're all meant to be prophets and priests in the Lord. Literally, this is the design from the beginning. The Garden of Eden, what were Adam and Eve. They were God's assigned priests and prophets over all creation. Yes, it was disrupted and destroyed practically, defaced horribly. But that's, of course, what the whole story of the Bible is about, to to restore that, to bring that back. We're inundated by secular pundits. We need more godly priests and prophets, don't you think? Faithful priests and prophets. We need godly, wise people to speak God's truth and love. Let's be those people. What do you think? If we say no way, we're saying Christ can't make it happen, and Christ's ministry was for naught. It was like a, just kind of a superficial figure all your sins. Have a great day. See us in the future. But no, it wasn't just that. It wasn't that. Now you're saved. You're just kind of wait for a while until you die and go to heaven. Mm-mm, not 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 true. It's something now. It's for you now. It's about having biblical knowledge accruing as you're doing Bible study, and you're getting biblical wisdom. It's about your commitment to personal growth that results in you becoming a person of emotional intelligence. It's about you having a missional heart for what God's doing in the world. You say, I think I'll develop some ministry skills, how to pray with people, how to listen to people, how to care for people, how to encourage people, how to support them in their work, how to lead the work, whatever that might look like for you. Now, let me give you the biblical basis for this. This is not just me being thinking romantically about, well, gee, just like them, let's us be that. Rather, I'm just quoting God's word to you. I'm trying to be a faithful prophet and priest. Right before the people went into the land, what did, um, what did God say to, to Moses? And, then God, and Moses said to the people, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You all. How about when the prophet Joel was getting people thinking about what was it like to come out of exile and to really become the reestablished people of God? He said, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. This is Joel 2 and Acts 2. Peter quotes this on Pentecost. This is the word of God. If you don't like it, take it up with him. I'm just the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger, right? How about this out of the New Testament? Peter himself in 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people. Well, I didn't volunteer. No, you've been conscripted. This is not an invitation. This is a summons. Report for duty. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. The methodology of prophets and priests, pastors and and um, prophets is simple, even as it's profound. We're essentially farmers in God's field, sowing righteousness and reaping a harvest. We're sowing righteousness in order to harvest it. That's what the pastor in in in, in Irpin is doing today. He's saying, "Hey, I, you know, uh, it's a hard time, but now I'm going to sow the seed and prepare for the harvest." This is all going to settle down someday, and, and we're going to have a harvest of people saying, God was faithful. God is for us. By His grace, we're not lost, we're not alone, we're not abandoned, we're not defeated. He loves us, He wants the best for us, and graciously, graciously calls us to follow Him and learn from Him. Yeah, but I don't know what to do. That's the point. You, how would you know what to do unless you learn from Him? Stop using that as an excuse. Well, I'm busy. Everybody's busy. I'm tired. Everybody gets tired. Well, I'm to this, I'm to that. Everybody is to this or to that in their own point of view. But guess what? It's you. And don't look to your side, right or left. Don't look behind you. God's talking to you. What are you going to do with this prophetic pastoral calling he's giving you? What are you sowing and what are you reaping at this age in your life? By God's grace, you can nurture and cultivate your life in Him in the midst of your very busy life, in the midst of all those big problems that are weighing heavy on you. Well, my doctor just told me, pray for your doctor and pray for you. Pray for your kids, pray for your grandkids, pray for the people who annoy you the most. Zechariah said this, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. It's not about how much can you cultivate in you, it's how can you be cultivated in him, and it's his spirit that makes this possible. Sometimes his spirit works very, very quietly, sometimes it's very much, wow, that, that's pretty explosive what God did. Some of you will have explosive experiences. Others of you have just this quiet sense of God bringing you along. Again, same continuum, same God. So this is what Isaiah embraced when he said, here I am. This is what Jesus embraced when he said, here I am, send me. And It's what we must embrace. We see this in in Isaiah 61.1. We see it in Luke 4.18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what Pastor Ostri said this morning to the congregation in Irpin. I just read it out of his letter. That letter is basically his life. It's what he does every day. It's what you and I can do every day in the the sphere of influence that we have. It might be a tiny, tiny sphere of influence. You might say, well, I'm kind of a T-ball level prophet and pastor. That's cool. That's great. You might be saying, I have so much impact and responsibility Yeah, and then you have a wider audience, and and maybe there's more at stake, but same responsibility. Your purpose in life is serving God pastorally and prophetically in the world. Not with a lot of fanfare, big titles, a business card. Just you being you in Him. So whatever vocational clothing you wear, have the mind and heart of a pastor prophet. Why do this? Great. Do it from the perspective of being, wow, I guess I'm some level. at some level I'm a pastor prophet. What did that look like? I wish I could go around the room right now and say, oh, okay, i I'll pick on all of you. Uh, Business guy, executive, uh, college professor, uh, person who is really good in the community doing stuff. Big-time big possessions, big-time resume, uh, you're doing this and this. Uh, oh, you already have two nickels rubbed together, but look at the faithful way you're living. You know, I, I, you know um, uh, you could, if I went just by titles, I could say that the titles represented in this room right now are immensely impressive. The resumes, educationally, professionally, are incredibly impressive. But you know, without Christ, that means nothing Or to quote Ecclesiastes, Solomon, it's all vanity. It's all vapor. It goes up like smoke. But in Christ, that becomes your portal for being a pastor and a prophet. We're blessed to bear witness, to bear one another's burdens, and to bear up in adversity. That's everybody's calling as we live out our walk with Christ. It'll look different, but it'll be as effective as possible as Christ works in you and through you. So proclaim God's word. And care for people as you live in His love and walk in His grace. That's all it is. I I, I proclaim God's word in appropriate ways as I care about people. No title necessary, just a God-informed commitment to speak and care in His name. So I ask you this question before I pray for us. Will you speak and care in His name? It's a simple assignment. Will you continue, if you're already doing it, or will you start, if you're not, or will you get really more focused, if you haven't really thought about it, will you simply learn to speak and care in Jesus' name? He will show you how, as you put your face in his word, as you open your heart to him and his spirit, as you figure out what is in your hands, and as you gather with other people and say, I have no idea what to do, do you have any ideas? What are you doing? How is it working for you? And all of a sudden, powerful things happen in a community that's doing that. It's partly why we do the conversations in the next hour. Go out and have have, have something to eat, talk to people, come back, and we have a 45 minute conversation. Uh, It's fantastic. Uh, How many of you have been doing conversations, have at least been one time conversations? Raise your hand. It's awesome, isn't it? We've had about 60 people being a part of this thing um, overall. Fantastic. So I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, teach us. Uh, to speak your word in ways that are natural to us, but supernatural in your hands. In ways that are simply us talking about what we're learning, what we're seeing, what we've experienced, what we're discovering. In, In normal ways, so that people wouldn't be freaked out, but they'd be curious and interested. That we'd speak to some real need in them as we care for them. I pray, Lord, you show us how to speak your word in appropriate ways customizing it to us and the situations we're in, I pray that you give us even a deeper sense of caring about ourselves, about your presence in us, your work through us, that we care in a whole new fresh way about our kids and our grandkids, about our neighbors and our friends, our colleagues, that you'd raise up people who are speaking and caring in a way that reveals, as we look closely and try to understand what motivates them, that they're doing it out of this sense of pastoral and prophetic calling, to simply being themselves in you. So that's our prayer. We pray this in Jesus' high and holy name. Amen. Okay, so as we wrap up our worship time, we're gonna have some music. Uh, we do an offering, but the offering isn't give us money. The offering is is you give us you. So as you is if you want to make an offering financially, you can put it in a box, you can mail it in. There's all kinds of ways to make an offering. But this offering is about you simply in the presence of God as the music plays, uh, saying, Lord, here I am, Hinani. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Good day. Yeah. pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? So uh, following this benediction, if we can pray for you in any way, we have a, a, a little prayer garden right on the corner and and you go there and uh, you don't, you have, you don't even have to say what you want to pray pray for. If you want, you can but just otherwise just say, hey, pray for me and, and somebody will be there to pray with you and they'll just pray, put their hand on your shoulder and say, Lord, and they'll pray for you. It's an awesome gift to have people pray for us, I tell you. Go get something to eat, great coffee, great food, uh, get your kids. If you have kids, bring them out, get them a snack. And then we have a whole thing for kids ready to go for the next hour, 45 minutes after that break. When we come back in here and do conversations, we'd love you to be a part of that. It's really fun. If you haven't been yet, you're going to love it. If you don't like it, you can walk out. No harm, no foul. But it's really, really fun. And uh, it, it's not putting anybody on the spot. We just get into small groups. So we watch some really neat content and talk a little bit about it. It's been just, and the room just goes crazy with buzzing uh, with all the people uh, into it. All ages and stages, so can't wait. Join us for worship on Wednesday, Ash Wednesday. If you've never been to an Ash Wednesday service, it's not a weird thing. It's an awesome thing. Uh, 6.30, and uh, look forward to seeing you there. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or even imagine give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with Him both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.